Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. everyone. This is Dr. Paula McDonald, and we are at Lesson 21, studying Revelation chapter 19. In our last lesson, we saw that the judgment is coming, and the house of cards that Satan has built will come tumbling down. We also saw the complete destruction and fall of Babylon. As difficult as things are in the end times and right now in our world, we serve a just and mighty God who wins in the end. In our lesson from chapter 19, we begin with the complete worship to our king and we end with our warrior, the king, who is riding in on a white horse. When we keep this image in our minds, there is absolutely nothing at all to fear. So chapter 18 ended with a desolated prostitute prostitute being fully judged. Chapter 19 ends with the beast being destroyed and fully judged. And chapter 20 will end with the dragon or Satan destroyed and fully judged. Therefore, the unholy trinity will be fully and completely destroyed. Amen. So we're going to start with our first division, worship to our king. That is Revelation 19 verses 1 through 10. And this chapter begins with wonderful praises or hallelujahs to our wonderful King Jesus. The word hallelujah is found only here in the book of Revelation in all of the New Testament. It comes from the Hebrew phrase meaning praise the Lord. It is a complete expression of adoration and gratitude. And here in this chapter, we're going to go through the four times that this word is mentioned. Now, we find hallelujah in Old Testament verses, but this is the only place in the New Testament, which is quite interesting. And what is also interesting is that right after our last chapter in 18, where it saw Babylon being thrown down with violence, chapter 19 then opens in praises. And as we have seen throughout this book of Revelation, it is written so beautifully and so logically that we have breaks throughout. There will be big warnings, horrible things that are happening, and then a break or a prayer or a view of heaven. And you can see this as we've gone through it all year long. Let's go right into verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to God. Here we find the coming forth from heaven in a roar of a great multitude the shouting of the first hallelujah. This multitude are heavenly angels proclaiming his glory and power and placing this worship in the right place on Almighty God. Verse 2, For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her 
the blood of his servants. There are three very distinct truths in this one verse alone. First, he is true and just. Secondly, he has condemned or judged those who have harmed his people. And then thirdly, he takes care by avenging his people. And so here in this first praise, we see the reference to him being true and just. He is not a God who decides one day, okay, I'm going to destroy my enemies. He destroys those who oppose him, but only after much patience and wisdom. God is just because he has shown this great patience from the time his beloved son was brutally murdered and throughout history as God's people continue to be put down, mocked, silenced, and killed. Our mighty God avenges his people against those who wish them dead, against those who have been treated with disdain and martyred because of their faith in Christ. The great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries are those who have led many astray from the truth of Christ. All of those who aided in this unfaithfulness to him will be dealt with. Verse 3, and again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Well, the second praise points to the fact that the prostitute is going up in smoke once and for all. The burning in hell is forever promised. In verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Well, this third praise involves the entire kingdom of heaven, as we saw earlier in chapter 4. And it really is a privilege for believers to praise our King. As we have seen throughout this book of Revelation, there have been many big moments where we have seen these praises, and all of them have occurred after really big events. So let's review a few of them. Right after the seven churches receive their messages in Revelation 4, 8 through 11, God is called holy by the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And then just before the first scroll is opened in Revelation 5, 8 through 14, the lamb is worshiped as he takes the second sealed scroll. And then next, as the call for God's people to receive the seal, Revelation 7, 9 through 12, we see the reference to the great multitude worshiping God and the Lamb, and specifically for his wisdom, his power, and his strength. And then the two witnesses are raised to heaven in Revelation eleven fifteen through 18. The elders thank God that it is now time for the judgment. And then here, it's judgment for Babylon that has occurred and praises happen. Revelation 19, 1 through 8. All in the heavens praise him as righteous and triumphal. The wedding of the Lamb is rejoiced. So then we hit verse 5. A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. This mighty praise reminds me of Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. And that is the name of Jesus. Every knee 
will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, this is the true posture of pure praise to our Lord. Verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, a roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Now we have this fourth and final praise of hallelujah. Like verse 1, there is another great multitude, a roar of rushing water, peals of thunder and shouting. And so let's break this down. Number one, the Lord God Almighty reigns because he alone is supreme and in control and he is the king of kings. And secondly, it says we are to rejoice, be glad and give him glory. Three, the wedding of the lamb is the perfect picture of Christ, who is our bridegroom, as we, the believers, are his bride. And so four, believers are to be ready. And the way we are ready is by knowing him, knowing his word, and fellowshipping with other believers. And then five, believers, you and me, we are given white linen representing that we are redeemed in him and seen as sinless before God. This white clothing represents our beautiful salvation in Christ. Mm, I love that. Verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Well, this is the fourth beatitude of Revelation. And remember those seven beatitudes of Revelation? Revelation 1.3, blessed are those who read, hear, and take heart to words. Revelation 14.13, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Revelation 16.15, blessed is he who stays awake. And then here in Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper. And we'll get to the rest as we finish this study here in Revelation. So at this beautiful picture of a wedding, it's being described, this feast and celebration are showing us that the wedding supper represents the invitation that Christ extends to all people. And sadly, not all will accept his invitation and they will choose to go their own way. And verse 10 at this, I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So here John, he's overwhelmed in the spirit by these hallelujah praises, and he falls to his feet, and the angel who's delivering this to him says to him that he is a fellow servant with John and with his brothers and sisters, and he redirects the worship to God and to King Jesus. What a beautiful reminder of whom we should be showing all of our worship and praise to, and that is to Jesus. He is our only true King. 
So your truth bomb for this division, we are to praise King Jesus with all of our hearts, all of our words, with our time, and to be ready at all times. So your call to action, how are you preparing yourself for your bridegroom, Jesus, on a daily basis? All right, second division, the warrior king. And this is verses 11 through 21. And so the narrative shifts from the worship of our king into the description of our King Jesus, the warrior. And most scholars agree that this is the moment of the second coming. He arrived on earth the first time as a savior who was gentle yet firm in his resolve. And here in his second coming, he arrives as a mighty warrior. Verse 11, I saw heaven open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. John had just bowed to the angel and was told to not do this in this next verse. Because then, here comes Jesus arriving as the only one who is worthy of a bowed knee. And we saw this same word back in Revelation 6-2. I looked and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So now we see the warrior king Jesus being called faithful and true. He is described as having justice to judge and wage war. And to have a horse in battle was a significant advantage back in the days of John. A horse spoke of honor and of power and of speed, and the color of this horse speaks of victory. And Jesus is and always has been faithful to doing exactly as he said that he was in line with his father. All of his words are true and just, and therefore he now has the right to avenge, to judge, and to wage war against all of those who have rejected, denied, and destroyed him and his people. Verse 12, his eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. So the eyes of Jesus are described like blazing fire, and this symbolizes his time of judgment by fire. No one who is worthy of being judged, which means those who have denied him, will be able to withstand his fiery gaze. He has returned to take care of business once and for all. And this reference to Jesus wearing many crowns displays that he alone is the only one worthy to wear a crown. His crown represents authority over everything. And earlier, we saw the references in Revelation to the dragon and the beast wearing crowns as they were ultimately mocking King Jesus. And here, as he returns in victory, all of those crowns clearly belong to Jesus alone. And also, the bloody crown at Jesus' death is now replaced with these final crowns of victory. I just love that. So the last part of this verse is also interesting. Remember back in Revelation 2.17, it says, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which 
no one knows except him who receives it. And so just as we have a new name that only the Father knows, he too has a name that only himself and God know. I think that is so amazing. We may or may not be privy to this name in heaven, but I think one day we will find out. Verse 13, he is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. And so we know there are lots of names for God and for Jesus. And we know fully that this robe dipped in blood is there because of the blood he shed for us. But it also shows us the blood of those who have died for Jesus because of his name. This blood-soaked robe is a sober reminder to those who have caused untold shed blood to Jesus' people. Next, I really love this part of the verse, and his name is the Word of God. Let's go back to how John began his gospel. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was there in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word of God was brought to us via many prophets, disciples, and apostles, along with the true words of Jesus Christ. And as you read through the entire Bible, it is so evident that Jesus is interwoven throughout Scripture with all of the word pointing to him. You cannot study the Bible without seeing this beautiful thread of Jesus throughout. Verse 14 the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And so this army represents those who follow Jesus. That's you and me, guys. And they, too, are riding white horses into battle. Well, I specifically love that because I love horses. So I look forward to being able to ride horses in heaven. Well, their attire represents their unstained status with Christ. The clothing they are wearing most certainly look like a bride's attire. And therefore, those who have perished before the second coming will be in the battle with the king. What an amazing honor to truly serve with him during this final cleansing on earth. Wow. Verse 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So this description of Jesus is clear with three main descriptions in this verse. So there's the sharp sword from his mouth, which reminds us that his word, the Bible, is not to be toyed with. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of heart. And Ephesians 6.17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, these two verses make it very clear what this verse in Revelation 19.15 means. The Word of God is to be taken very seriously, and it is not to be mocked. Believers are to arm ourselves with his word with every turn of our day. The second thing that he's described 
here is that he rules with an iron scepter. And if you look at Psalm 2.9, it says, you will break them with a rod of iron. So this was foretold way back that Jesus would end up not only as the victor, but also that he would destroy them with an iron scepter. And so I wanted to put in an interesting side note regarding iron. Iron is the most common element in the earth by weight. It accounts for almost all the earth's core. Its low cost, abundance, and strength have since antiquity made it man's most used metal. Well, it also gives blood in our body its crucial ability to take oxygen from the air and carry it to where it's needed in the body. Isn't that so interesting that this verse talks about an iron scepter with Christ who shed his blood? I just see so much symbolism and so many little words that are hidden nuggets in his word. Proverbs 27:17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Well, the third descriptive is he treads the winepress of fury and the wrath of God Almighty. Well, this points to Isaiah 63.3. I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Back in Revelation 14.19, the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he had the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this beautiful robe is draped across Jesus's body, his entire body from his shoulder down his leg. And that title of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it's going to be evident to all who see him. Verses 17 through 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty horses, their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Wow. Here is where the invitation to those who have rejected Christ's offer to follow him are now being invited to their final destructive event. And in this invitation, well, it is a no RSVP required event as they will now attend their final feast, which is their own flesh. And as disgusting as this verse appears, this carnage is what they created. They have been destroying the flesh of innocent people and now they're going to get what they've asked for. They will feast upon themselves. Verse 19. Then I saw the beast and his kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. So with this invitation for them to attend their own gruesome feast, they align themselves with Satan and his armies, which include those who have colluded with him to battle against Christ. And as powerful as they have believed themselves to be, they are about to discover they have zero power with Christ in the forefront. Verse 20 then goes right into, But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. 
And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast. And remember, the mark of the beast is those people who align with Satan. And they worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into a fiery lake of burning sulfur. So where is this battle they were just talking about? Well, (laughs) it's already been won when Christ shed his blood on the cross. Therefore, this battle, they believe that's going to be the mother of all battles. It doesn't even stand a chance when Christ on his white horse arrives. And the second line of verse 20 shows us that Satan has tricked many to receive his mark. The mark of Satan upon those who have denied Christ's mark, and therefore they took the mark of the beast. Well, guess what? Just as we are sealed with Christ, they are sealed with Satan. And finally, all of them, Satan along with all of those who have worshipped and followed him, are going to be thrown alive into this fiery lake of burning sulfur. They will indeed receive a horrible torture that will never end. Verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Ugh, this final verse shows their destruction of anything having to do with Satan and his evil ways. They're going to be left to rot. In the end, the word of God will be what takes them down. Because it says they were killed with the sword coming out of his mouth, which we know is the word of God. And that's what they've tried to destroy all of this time. They've worked so hard to diminish God's word. They laugh at the word of God and extort the word of God, twist his words. And guess what? In the end, they will be left for the birds of prey as mere food for them. The extortion of God's word includes all that have tried to take from him. For instance, the rainbow. They've taken God's beautiful rainbow covenant to his people and they've perverted it. God's creation of man and woman. God's design of marriage and of their complete ignorance of true wisdom and intelligence. By them believing they can rewrite what is good and true, they will be shown that their efforts are for naught. So your truth bomb, Jesus is returning as a warrior. And your call to action, are you personally ready to join Jesus in his final destruction of Satan? Are you standing up and speaking up now with the word of God? Or are you remaining silent, sitting on the sidelines? So your summary is this beautiful chapter begins with worship and ends in war. Take heart as we shall soon see the new heaven and the new earth as Jesus sets up his reign on this earth. And my 10 word compilation of this whole chapter is as we praise Jesus, he is our warrior in battle. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. For your true word, may it pierce our hearts and be deep, deep, deep into our souls as we go forth every day. Let us have many opportunities to speak of you and of your word and that people will hear and will turn to you. For it is in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.